what, you know, the, what's harder than preaching is actually doing announcements in service. Didn't Rosie do it? She did a good job. First time. It's her first time. And it was the first time that Puente Pueblo has actually been said correctly from the pulpit. So good job. You, didn't she said it the way we always say it? Puente del Pueblo. So good job. And then, you know, Joel's first time being up here. He's our new local impact director who's taken over my role. And he did a great job, too. It's hard. He doesn't even barely know some of the people. He's just met them. So good job, Joel. Now, another really hard thing to do is to get up in front of about 800 people you've never met before and talk. So you guys are going to do that. This is uh, my friend uh, Jackie Martinez and Luis Vasquez. And they are part of our Puente del Pueblo program in West Chicago. And uh, so th th this is their third time doing this this morning. So we're going to get it again. And I know they're still a little nervous. So I, I start off with a softball question, and that's, did you know that the Cubs won last night? Yes. All right, here we go. We've broken the ice, okay? So um, you guys have been part of our, our elementary program um, that we started in West Chicago eight years ago. This is an after-school program for 125 students that meets every day of the week when school is in session. And then we do a summer program here at the church as well. So, Luis, you started with us when you were in fifth grade. Oh, fourth. Fourth, fourth grade. grade. Sorry, you were in fifth yeah, grade. Fourth grade there. for Luis. I've gotten that wrong every single time <laughs> this morning. Uh, Luis, tell us, how did you get connected to the elementary program? Uh, well, when it first started in, back in 2008, uh, Lilia Salazar, which is a leader for the uh, elementary program at the school at Wagner, mm -hmm. uh, she met my mom and she talked about the program and what it was about and what their mission is. And she really liked that, and having an education for me was really important to her. So yeah. that's how I joined. Yeah, so when we first got started, we, we didn't have a program. We didn't have kids in a program. Nobody knew we even existed. So what we did is we sent Lilia, who's, who leads our Wagner program, and she went knocking on every door at the Westwood Apartments. And we, there's over 500 apartments. So one day, she knocks on your door. Yes. So tell us what happens, Jackie. Uh, well, Ms. Lilia, she knocked on my door, and my mom opened. And Ms. Lilia, she just started talking to her about the program. And my mom, she, was, she, was the, she said it was a really good idea, and it is a good idea. But I'm, I was really shy, and I was uncomfortable going in into a new program where I did not know anybody. But I ended up going, and it, the atmosphere was just so good, and it made me feel comfortable right away. You were like nine, ten years old when you started, and uh, you were a little bit older. When we um, start the program, we, our goal is to grow with these kids so that when they're ready, they'll go to college, and we'll actually see them through college. That's the goal. But, you know, when you guys are that young, you're not thinking college, right? So w at what point for you, Luis, because I know that's on your radar, at what point for you did that become like, oh, I think I'm going to go to college? Uh, well, when I graduated from middle school, we, I transitioned to the high school program, which was is still led by Saul, and he really pushed college in my brain, college, 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 yeah. and how important it is. And so uh, he brought out people, uh, professionals that graduated from college, and now they have a career like business or um, architecture, and that really opened my mind and what I want to do in college and why I want to go. Yeah. So um, our college program meets uh, three nights a week, and there's homework assistance, and there's character development, but then we also bring in people from our church to come and say, I'm a designer, I'm a developer, I'm a business person, and you're learning from them, and what's it take to, to be that job, to be in business, right? Mm -hmm. 
So Jackie, one of the things that we do every year is we take a group of our students that are in high school and we cast a big vision by taking them on a college visit tour mm -hmm. out of state, yes. far away. You've gone on that trip, Luis has gone on that trip. Tell us, how has that impacted you? Well, it's really opened up my eyes to see how diverse the schools can be. And uh, to, it, it's shown me that I have the opportunity and I have what it takes to be able to go to any school that I set my mind to. Just like my friend Luis here. Yeah. Luis, you went last year, first time to out, of, out to Kentucky, you went to Florida, big schools. Tell us about one of the schools that you really have your eye on. Uh, well, we went to, as you said, Kentucky, Florida, and we visited like uh, University of Louisville, uh, Florida State, Jacksonville. And one that really caught my eye was uh, University of Louisville. Uh, they were, uh, the campus is beautiful, uh, how they treated us was amazing, and uh, they have a really good business program, uh, top in the nation, and uh, I want to major in business management, so as we speak right now, uh, I'm applying to Louisville. Yeah, that's awesome, isn't that cool? So here's our hope, here's our prayer, is that you two come back in about four years, five years for you, you're a senior, you're a junior, and then we want to hear how, well, we're going to be praying for you, because it's, it's still a steep hill to climb, but we're going to be with you every step of the way. Will you guys thank them for being here this morning? Thank you, guys. So cool. So cool. It started with us when they were 10 and 11 years old, and, and here they are. They're getting ready to go to college, and that, that's what we're trying to do. That's, that's what Puente del Pueblo is about, and if you're interested in hearing more, you need to speak with our team out in the atrium after the service. So we are uh, local Impact Sunday. Last week was global. We talked about what, what, what is going on around the world, what the church is doing. We had a number of our missionaries who were, were here last Sunday, and, and now they're out there in the atrium. You can still meet them. Today we're talking about what God is doing locally, because missions is here, there, and everywhere, right? Not all of you are going to be called to go overseas uh, to uh, South America, Central America, Africa. Most of us are going to live right here in DuPage County for the rest of our lives. And it sounds so ominous, but God has sent you here. We believe that. And so we want to talk about that. So I'm going to ask you guys to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Or as Rosie would say, Dies. Luke chapter 10. See, I'm just teasing you. Luke chapter 10. We're going to talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I want to um, lead into this with a story of a, of a pretty epic fail on my part. All right? So here it is. Before I was the local impact pastor at Wheaton Bible Church, and now I'm the community life pastor, but before all that, I was the junior high pastor. And I served um, junior hires for 12 years, loved junior hires, um, six years here at the church and six years before I came to Wheaton Bible Church. And one, um, before, uh, when my wife and I were doing um, junior high ministry together, we didn't have kids. So we had a lot of what we used to call discretionary time. You guys remember that? You guys with parents, remember those days? Let's, let's just take a moment and reflect on how awesome that was, right? But now we, we've got kids. But back then, we, we would, you know, you'd get out of church and you'd just go, I want to get home, right? Got, got a Bears game. They're probably going to lose, but we're going to go watch. And then got the Cubs game. In those days, they always lost. Not anymore, right? And uh, whatever. We want to go, go out to Chili's. We want to have some food. You know, this is like Sunday afternoons were our own, whatever we wanted to do. So I, you know, when we leave church, we're on 1130. Remember the campus, our old campus back in the day, we used to be downtown Wheaton. And to get to my house, I had to take one-way street out of Wheaton, up and over the bridge. You Wheatonites know what I'm talking about. Remember the, you know, the bridge that goes over Manchester? This is back before they fixed it, when it was like that crazy 
turn you had to make. It was kind of dangerous. And so we would go. I'm sure that'll stop in a second. We would go. We'd head home. We'd get ready to get, get going. And one day we're driving home, and on the side of the road, just before I get to this br- the bridge that goes over the tracks, there's a group of boys, and, and, and there's like six of them, and five of them are kind of huddled around one of them, and the, and the one boy in the middle is lurched, they're all riding bikes, and they're, he's kind of lurched over his bike, and he looks ill. I mean, he just looks sick. It looks like he's about to throw up. And, and the look of concern on his friend's faces, you know, they're like, are you you're giving him sort of that, are you going to be okay look? It's amazing how many calculations your brain can make in a moment like that. So I'm in the car. I I take in this whole scene. I'm going like 30 miles an hour down the road, and I take in this whole scene, and I'm thinking, oh, wow, there's a group of boys, and that little boy's sick. And and then I'm like, all right, in my head, are you going to stop? And then I start to answer that question. Well, if I stop, I won't get home for a while. I'm already going, I'm on a one-way street. There's not a really good place to turn around right here. And by the time I had that thought, I'm already up on the bridge. It's a one-way, and then I'd have to go all the way down to the other side, make a U-turn, and then I'm, cal- well, by the time I do that, he's probably going to be fine. There's, there's probably a doctor like two cars back. He'll stop, <laughs> right? I mean, your brain makes all of these calculations in an instant, in an instant, Then my conscience spoke to me, and my conscience said loudly and clearly, well, aren't you going to stop? My conscience name is Laura McElwee, (laughs) right? She's sitting right next to me. Remember this, hon? Remember? Yeah, she's like, yeah, I remember. And then the thoughts in my head actually became verbal justifications. Well, honey, I'm already on the thing, on the bridge, and I got to turn around, and by the time I do that, they're going to be fine, and I'm hungry. You know, I just, you know, they're, it's, you know kids throw up all the time in downtown Wheaton. They'll be fine. <laughs> like, I don't even know what I said, right? But I kept on going. I did not turn around. Epic fail, right? I'm a pastor. I'm a junior high pastor. These are probably junior high age kids. I just kept going. It reveals something now that I reflect. This was like 15 years ago. This reveals something about my heart 15 years ago. The thing is, is that you're laughing because you've done it too, haven't you? That's why you're laughing. It's like a nervous, like, ha, 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 I did that too. It reveals our hearts. And that's why we laugh, because we don't like it. We don't like what's inside our hearts sometimes. And, and so Jesus talks about something like this in the book of Luke, chapter 10. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we want to talk about this because it's, it's a similar story to my own. And Jesus has this wonderful story, this wonderful point he's trying to make. So if you're in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it probably even says the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you didn't bring a Bible, by the way, there's, if in, you're under the seat in front of you or behind the seat in front of you, and feel free to open up your iPad or phone or whatever that you want to do. I mean, I'm going to read this, and then we'll unpack it, okay? So let's start from verse 25. Uh, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, Who's my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by the robbers. They stripped him of clothes, they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii. He gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. All right, so what's happening? So to, to us in 2016, this sounds completely different than it would have to the listeners of Jesus 2,000 years ago. So let, let's just go through this a little slowly and, and, and let me help you identify what, like, what the differences are, what the point that Jesus is trying to make. So there's an expert in the law. Today we call those lawyers, right? There's an expert in law, and he's trying to te test Jesus. Now, there's no indication that this was a personal conversation. Jesus was probably having this conversation with at least some of his disciples nearby and others nearby, and they're listening in on this conversation. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And everybody's kind of leaning in, like, what's the answer? And Jesus is like, well, you're a lawyer. What's it say in the law, right? Jewish law based on the Bible, based on the Old Testament. The lawyer, he's an expert. What does it say? How do you read it? And then he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, that's right. You have answered correctly. Now, to us, right, well, well that's an interesting answer. What's he mean there? Well, this verse that the lawyer quotes is probably the most famous verse known to a Jewish hearer. It's called the Shema. It's Deuteronomy 6.5. It's in the book of the law. And, and what it's saying is, what, what every Jew, I should say, every Jewish little boy, little girl, every family does every morning and every night is sings or recites this prayer when they wake up, when they go to bed. It's always on their lips. Everybody knows. This was not like this really super creative answer. This was like the yearbook answer. This was the home run answer. This was the slam dunk answer. For us as Christians, those of us who know Jesus, we learned a verse similar to this that's always on the tip of our tongues. We learned it when we were sparkies or cubbies, or we learned it soon after becoming a follower of Jesus. What is the most famous verse that Christians know? The most, what is it? What is it? It's John 3.16, right? We just, we learned that one. It's the one where the guy, when I was a kid, there's always a guy behind the field goal during football games with the John 3.16 sign. You remember that? Like that's, the, that's our verse, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever should believe in him will have eternal life. We know this verse. This is one of the first ones we've memorized. If you haven't memorized it, you should. John 3.16. So the lawyer's like, well, that's an easy one. I'm going to nail this one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor 
as yourself done. Jesus is like, good, do this and you will live. But the lawyer's not done because lawyers are never done. <laughs> Just teasing. My friend Eric Nelson from Minister Justice is here and I, you know, he's a lawyer. He's a good guy. You should go talk to him after this. There's a lot of you are lawyers. But lawyers do what lawyers do and they have questions after questions and they have questions because they're trying to solicit a certain answer. They're experts in asking precisely the right question to get precisely the right answer that they need. And so look what his question is in verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? If you are really honest with yourself right now, you're nervous about the answer to this question. You're nervous about this. Because the answer to this question will have implications for you and your family for the rest of your life. Who is my neighbor? So for the lawyer, he's like, well, I'm hoping Jesus says it's all my lawyer friends. Right? It's all the people in my firm. It's all the people I work with. It's all the people in the conventions and all that stuff. It's all my classmates in college. And if you say those are my neighbors, we're golden. Or, or if you say, hey, it's all the people I go to church with, it's all the people in my synagogue, and I know all of them, because I see them and know them, and, and we worship together every week. If you say it's them, I'm good. But Jesus actually doesn't answer the question. Instead, he shares a parable. And the parable is going to rock the lawyer, and it's going to rock everyone listening, including ourselves. Listen to what Jesus says. In reply, Jesus said, there's a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by the robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So far, so good. This was a common scenario. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho is about 17 miles long. You went from 2,500 feet in elevation to 800 feet below sea level. And it was a treacherous road. Every day in the paper, if there was a paper, there'd be stories of people beaten. There are lots of caves, lots of places to hide out along this road. And you'd be walking and the robbers, thieves, they'd come out and they'd attack you. And you'd, you'd be left for dead. I mean, this happened all the time. So Jesus is sharing the story, and they're like, oh yeah, that happens all the time. But what happens next doesn't ever happen. So there's this man, he's laying on the side of the road, and then verse 31, a priest happens to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Well, wait, whoa, 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 Jesus, time out. Priests do not pass by on the other side. They are priests. They are holy. They are revered. Everybody wants to be a priest. Right? When you're a little boy in Israel, being a priest, that's the top of the heap. That's the best job. That's Michael Jordan. That's Chris Bryant. Everybody wants to be like them. Everybody wants to be like Mike. Everybody wants to be a priest. Priests do not cross. They are holy, revered, compassionate, Jesus takes the religious leader of the day, says, nope, pass by on their side. Then he says, well, there's a Levite. The Levite did the same thing. Now, the Levites were the priestly tribe, 12 tribes of Israel. The Levites 
were the tribe that provided the priests. All priests were Levites. Not all Levites were priests. But they were known as holy people. It's kind of the special tribe. I mean, all of them are special. But they had this unique thing, this unique role to play in the history of Israel. Levites passed by on their side of the road. If I put myself in this story, I'm like, yeah, I can relate to the priest. I see he's walking up to the guy, and he's making these calculations in his head, and he's saying, okay, there's a dead guy here, or a half-dead guy, and if I touch him, the Jews had rules about touching dead bodies or getting the germs or the, the bodily fluids of people who were other than Jewish on you. If that happened, you would become what's known as unclean which means you couldn't go to worship. You couldn't certainly lead worship. And I could see the priest going, oh, there's a half-dead guy there. I can't touch him. If I do that, I'm going to be unclean. And if I get unclean, i got to go through this whole rigmarole of getting myself re-cleansed that takes a long time. And it's just not, I, he's going to die anyway. I'm just going to keep walking, right? And you can, maybe the Levite, you know, if he's making the same calculations in his head that I am, he's like, well, you know, that's going to make a great illustration in a book I'm writing, or, you know what, I got to remind myself, you know, this is a great story. You know, you shouldn't be walking down this road. I got to remember to tell my, my family that. I got to make sure my kids know you shouldn't be going down this road by yourself. Or whatever that might be, you can understand that Jesus is like, the priests and the Levites did not stop. And they'd be like, well, I can't believe Jesus just threw the priests and the Levites under the bus like that. And then Jesus says this, and this would stop everybody in their tracks, but a Samaritan in verse 33. And there would have been audible, I can only imagine, there would have been audible like gasps, like, <gasps> wait, I'm sorry, I didn't, did you just say Samaritan? You know, to our ears, we hear Samaritan, and we're like, we love Samaritans. I mean, if you have the label Samaritan, you are awesome. We name hospitals called Samaritan today, right? We have Good Sam Hospital. We have um, laws in the United States that protect you if you do stop to help somebody. They're called Samaritan laws, Good Samaritan laws. It protects you if you go to help somebody and you actually accidentally make it worse. You can't get in trouble because you were just trying right? Those laws protect us. They're called Samaritan laws. We had, there's a ministry started by the son of Billy Graham called Samaritan's Purse. Samaritan's Purse is this massive international ministry. Anytime there's a disaster, any kind of humanitarian crisis, or tornado goes through your town, the Samaritan's Purse rolls up with these giant semis, and you know that hope and help is on the way. Samaritans. We love Samaritans. We want to be known as good Samaritans, but not 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, you said Samaritan, and it would have been like, oh, I can't believe it. Did he, did he just say Samaritan? Why? Why, why would they be so upset by this? Well, flip over one page to Luke chapter 9. Just turn over or swipe over whatever you need to do, and let me just share with you a little story that kind of illustrates what I'm getting at here. Verse 52, verse 52, here's what it says, at, or verse 51, I'm sorry. As the time approached for him, that's Jesus, to be taken up into heaven. In other words, they knew that Jesus was going to go to Jerusalem and that Jesus was going to be crucified. Verse 52, he sent, Jesus sent messengers on ahead who went into a 
Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Why do they care about that? I'll share with you in a minute. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. What is going on here? All right, the Samaritans. The Samaritans did not believe that Jerusalem was the place you would go to worship God. They believed it was in their neighborhood, a place called Mount Gerizim. That was the place where you would worship, the only place that was valid for worship. Obviously, the Jews did not agree. They thought that Jerusalem, that was the house of where Jesus is. That's the city of David, Solomon. It's Jerusalem. Not only that, but the Samaritans were open to intermarry. Jews would never intermarry. That would be incredibly scandalous. But the Samaritans were um, influenced by the, by the Greeks, the, the Hellenists in the area. They would intermarry. And so you had all this cross-racial marriage. And the Jews hated that. They thought it was a watering down. They hated the Samaritans. So when they're walking and they're going to Jerusalem, the Samaritans are like, well, we're not going to help you get to the place to worship God falsely. We're not going to be a part of that. And James and John are like, oh, that's okay. No big deal. We'll go to another village. No. James and John decide to go like Cobra Kai on the Samaritans. They, you know, that's from The Karate Kid. That's a great movie from the 80s, by the way. All right. They decide they're going to, Star Wars reference, go first order on the Samaritans and blow them up. Can you imagine? Jesus, fire, destroy them all. If you say that today in certain places in the United States, really every place, you would be arrested for terrorism. James and John have yet to fully understand what it is that Jesus is going to do. This passage says that Jesus turned around and rebuked them, and that's all it says. And I just wonder if Luke really heard what Jesus said, and he's like, I can't put this in here. Because <laughs> I think Jesus just let them have it. For Jesus to say, but a Samaritan was a punch to the stomach of every Jewish listener. They were despised and hated and reviled. What Jesus might have been saying, that if you're a Cubs fan, and really today, we're all Cubs fans, right? that it was a Dodger fan that stopped and helped the person on the road. That really doesn't get at it, though. I mean, if you're a Bears fan, it was a Packer fan that stopped. And it doesn't get at it either, really. We're not even close, are we? What Jesus might have said, if he retold the story to you and to me today, is a pastor saw a guy in the road half dead, and he passed by on the other side. And then he might have said, a seminary professor saw the guy in the road, and he passed by on the other side. But a refugee from Syria stopped. Or he might have said, a Bible study leader passed by on the other side of the road. 
But an undocumented immigrant from Mexico stopped. Or he might have said, the pastor, the priest, the religious leader passed by, but the teenager with HIV stopped. That hurts. Are you upset? Are you upset with me right now? now some of you are already typing out the email. Huh? That's exactly what Jesus was doing. This would have been upsetting. They would have been furious with Jesus. Let me show you a picture of my family. This is them. And you might look at that picture and you go, okay, there's my conscience, Laura. And they're my kids. And you might sing this little song in your head, which one of these doesn't belong with the others, right? But those of you who've been around for a while know that two years ago, my wife and I and our kid, we adopted Hank. Hank's from Uganda. And so that was almost two years ago this, this week. We were there. Actually, it had been like Friday, I think. It was Is Gotcha. Is it Friday? Is Gotcha Day? Saturday? It's coming up, right? Hank, what day is it? Hank's here. But every day for the last two years, we've had Hank at our table. He's in our house. He's in our van. He's part of our family. He's becoming, he's a brother and a sister and our fourth child. But having Hank in our family causes Lauren and I to see the world differently than it did two years ago. Duh. But here's what we mean. We now see the child not through our own eyes, but through a little black child's eyes. We have friends who are black. I've always had friends who are black. I've had com many conversations with my friends who are black. I've heard their stories, and I've always been like, huh. But now I watch the news a little bit differently. And I wonder, will my son experience the same thing many of my black friends have experienced? Prejudice, racism, because of skin color. In many parts of even our own community here in Illinois, and certainly in our country, Jesus would have said, the pastor passed on the side of the road, but the black guy stopped. And in parts of our country, people would be like, <gasps> what Jesus is saying is that diversity honors God. That's one of our values here at Wheaton Bible Church. Diversity honors God. That you ask, who's my neighbor? I'm telling you, they're all your neighbor. There, there are, you, that's the wrong question to even ask if you're a follower of Jesus. They are all your neighbor because diversity honors God. Jesus died to, to tear down these walls that we put up between our neighbors. Revelations 5.9 says this. This is a picture of what's going to happen. This is a truth of what has happened. With your blood, you purchase for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Your blood purchased the lives of people from every language, tribe, nation, culture, everything. That's who will be with us in Jesus' presence one day. There are no questions of who is my neighbor. They are all our neighbors. Jesus asked, who's the one? Which of these three is the neighbor? And he said, the one who has mercy. Jesus is not saying, I agree with the Samaritan's belief system. Okay? 
He's simply saying, you're asking the wrong question. And we have got to stop asking the same question ourselves. We are always, is this my neighbor? Is that little boy on the side of the road my neighbor? Nah, I'm going to keep going. And Jesus is saying, wrong question. Stop asking the question of who my neighbor is and start being a neighbor. That's what Jesus is saying. And it hurts. We're afraid of the answer to the question, who is my neighbor, because it stings. Jesus goes on to say, here's what the Samaritan did. First, he came where the man was, he saw him, and he took pity on him. The word there is, the word, it's compassion. He shows compassion. That's the first thing you do when you see someone in need. You've got to develop this compassion. Some people have a ton of compassion, right? You just know people, like they see anything and their heart just breaks. Anything that's not the way it should be, their heart breaks. Like some people, like they see a a poster for a cat that got lost in the neighborhood, and they're like, we're going to get a search party. I can't live another moment without this cat being found, right? There are people who just have compassion, you know, it's like unlimited supply. And others of us, not so much. Look, we are glad that you are here October 2016. Your heart is a certain way, right? It's this big or whatever. It, it, that's good. We're glad that you are here. We're glad that you're listening to God's word, that you've come to worship with us. Your heart is this, but you have this much compassion for people. That's great. We just don't want you to stay that way. That over time, as years go by, the heart should grow bigger. That compassion should grow for our neighbors. How does that happen? Where does that come from? I think it comes from understanding what it is that Jesus did for us more and more. When you read this story, you're like, ah, you know what? I, if I were in this story, there are times when I'm going to be the pastor or the priest, and sometimes I'll be the Levite, but I'm really shooting to be the Samaritan every time, and that's good. But I want you to consider this. If you were to put yourself in the story, put yourself as the half-dead person in the street. Think about that for a second. You're the half-dead person in the street. Who is going to rescue you? What are you going to do to earn that rescue? What have you done to achieve mercy and compassion? Why should anybody stop to help you? if you're the half-dead person in the street. And then consider this. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? Aren't we the dead person in the street and Jesus is the ultimate good Samaritan? Did he not have compassion on us? Compassion that we did not earn, that we did not deserve? That's the compassion that Jesus has given to us freely. It's called grace. The more you understand that Jesus died for you in your half-dead state, and really, you're all the dead state, the more you understand what Jesus has done for you, that even though I call myself a pastor and I could drive around the poor child that's, you know, throwing up on the side of the street, that Jesus still loves me, when I realize that what he's done for me, the next time I see that, that child or I'm in that situation, I'll stop. And that's an easy one. That's where the compassion comes from. That's where you are in the story. 
The second thing that the Samaritan does is he went on to help him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. The second thing that a Samaritan does is this, takes time to care. Takes time to care. Time is one of the, it's, it's, it's one thing we hold on so tightly to here in our culture. Time, we don't, we try not to give it away too easily, although we do often, we often fail at this. But I learned something this week from our pastor. It was, he was leading the staff in a discussion about this topic, and he, and he kind of said it this way. He said, you have to disadvantage yourself in order to help others in this way. And that is so true. To help somebody in this way means you are not going to hit chilies on time. It means you are probably not going to have your afternoon to yourself anymore. It means you might not even have the next week to yourself or the next month to yourself. Who knows how long this is going to be? But that's what good neighbors do. That's what good neighbors do. They disadvantage themselves to help others. Isn't that what Jesus did on the cross? Did he not disadvantage himself for us? That's the perfect picture of what Jesus is trying to describe. And then the last thing he did is the next day he took out two denarii, which is some money, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for an extra expense you may have. It's that he provided for the ongoing support of the person in need. And that's what our church does. Why? Because we will seek and care for the vulnerable. That's our final value. As we've been talking about the values, we will seek and care for the vulnerable in our community. The vulnerable don't often seek us, although sometimes they do. Oftentimes we seek, we have to go out and seek them. That's why we have a Big Buddies program that we support in Carroll Stream. That's why we have an after-school program in West Chicago. That's why we support our missionaries and Kenyan staff in Nakuru who have an orphanage for dozens of children whose parents have been affected and, and have been died um, from AIDS caused by HIV. 50% of this community at one time had HIV. Hundreds of thousands of people died. And at a time when the church was saying, well, we can't help them. They're just getting what they deserve. Wheaton Bible Church showed compassion and grace and mercy to children and their families halfway around the world where 50% of the population was infected. That's what we do because that's what Jesus has taught us. When you give to Wheaton Bible Church, do you know 30% of your gift goes to all of these ministries outside the four walls of the church? You are a part of it. You are part of Jackie and Louisa's story. If you have given to Wheaton Bible Church, you have helped a child go to school this week whose parents have died from HIV and who they themselves may have HIV and therefore marginalized by their society. You are helping all of these people that's what, that's what the good neighbor does. The expert in the law replied when Jesus asked him who the good neighbor was, the one who had mercy. Couldn't even bring himself to say the Samaritan's name. So as we go today, it won't take long for you to be in this situation that I was in 15 years ago. It has happened often. But I want you to consider the words of the good Samaritan as you go forward. And let's stop asking who our neighbor is, and let's just start being a neighbor. Let's pray. You know, Father, if I'm honest, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed of not only that moment all those years ago, but there's been other times 
when I did not show the compassion that you have shown me every day. And so, Father, forgive us for that. We want to be people who are growing in our love for you. And as evidence of that growth in our love, our compassion grows. And when our compassion grows, we see people in need and and we show our compassion to them. And we do this in the name of Jesus. We let them know that it is you who sent us as your ambassadors. It is your words that we are speaking to them. Help us remember that, Lord, as we go forward. In your son's name, amen.